committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome. I'm Meredith Iabar, your hostess for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas food landscape by gathering food-based stories from our residents. This project offers a taste of a living history that speaks of ethnic and, cr- and racial cultural uh, connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlight the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation with our guests, Lily and Adriana Neder, co-owners of El Layali, a Lebanese restaurant located at 5222 Donovan Drive, Sweet B. Today, we will learn from our guests about Lebanese cuisine, the history of El Layali, which began as a family-run restaurant in Chihuahua City in 1986, and about the connections between Lebanese food and Mexican food. Um, again, welcome both to El Paso Food Voices. Thank you. Let's begin by having you introduce yourselves a little bit uh, to our audience. Um, just tell us who you are, uh, are you from El Paso? Even if not, how long have you been here? How do you came together to, to embark in a journey um, of, of a restaurant or running a restaurant together? So just just let us get to know you a little bit and whomever wants to go first. Okay. Um, well, I'm Adriana Neder. Um, I was born in Chihuahua. Um, I also grew up um, partially in Juarez, Ciudad Juarez. So I've always been acquainted with the uh, El Paso Juarez area, which I think that's how most of uh, the residents call it. Um, well, the idea here uh, was to, to, to bring our family's most traditional um, items to El Paso, um, because of the already um, cross-cultural living that there is in El Paso. Hi, I'm Lily. Uh, I was born in Delicias, Chihuahua, Chihuahua City. Uh, so I spent most of my life there in Mexico. Um, I have some Spanish heritage, so I have a few... Uh, I've experienced a few differences with Mexican food and uh, now Lebanese. But um, right now, well, I was not uh, acquainted to this area, but I travel here a lot. So it, it was not foreign to me. So, so together you both bring, uh, you, you, obviously your, your connection is Chihuahua. Um, but together, in sort of your, your cooking lives together, your cooking careers, your, your adventure into a restaurant. Um, the restaurant is a Lebanese restaurant, but I hear that you are actually bringing sort of like three kinds of cultural connections to some degree or another, which is the Lebanese, the Spanish, and the Mexican. Food's coming together. Um, and maybe we will talk more about that as we move, move on in our conversation. Um, I don't know. I, I suspect that a lot of people in El Paso know this, but I'm not sure that, that the Lebanese community in El Paso is actually quite substantial. And why um, it's an old group. They've been here for many years. Um, and in Chihuahua, too. Um, and a lot of the Lebanese people that are here actually have come here through Mexico. Um, and, and that's, you know, they made the migration not, not from the part of the United States, but through Mexico. Um, Adriana, can you tell us a little bit more, before we go into the specifics of food, tell us a little bit about um, Lebanese in, in, in Chihuahua, which is where you're from. Um, maybe a little bit about your family history. Um, so that we can contextualize um, right. the, the um, restaurant in a minute? Sure. So 
Um, my great grandfather uh, came to Chihuahua. I'm not quite sure on the year, um, and he um, he was a, a very happy man, and um, I guess he loved. He fell in love with Mexico, and um, well, there is there is this huge community, Lebanese community, which I, that's something I would love to talk about in Chihuahua specifically. A um, lot of Lebanese people, I I personally believe that they find it, they they find the similarities in religion. Uh, they find similarity in the family oriented kind of society, which the Lebanese is. And um, so when when my great grandfather came to Chihuahua, he um, uh, I just want to uh, open up a parenthesis on it on a very pe- peculiar story. Um, he came with some friends and some cousins, and they would uh, start work. Uh, they needed money, right? And they didn't speak the language, although they're very very. Uh, capable of learning any language in a very, very high speed. I have no idea why. But um, if Lily there can help me out with uh, with how they would survive, that'd be great. <laughs> well, the story goes like this. They started all over Chihuahua, but uh, they found out about uh, White Sands, you know, in Samalayuca. So they took some of that uh, sand and put them, put it in, in little bags, and they started selling it as holy land sand. So it was holy sand. So they made a lot of money out of that, and people trust <laughs> trusted them because they were from Lebanon. I mean, they didn't speak the language, and so they sold a lot. So they made money right away. So they could start their own businesses and they started, you know, making connections and they're very good at it. So <laughs> that's how all their businesses started. And, and now they have large um, businesses in Chihuahua, in Mexico, here in El Paso. In Juarez also. Juarez. Uh, you can also see um, there's part of the community in Juarez, the Lebanese community which are now mainly descendants. Um, and then uh, some others, well, like you have said, uh, they have immigrated here to El Paso. Um, but mainly they have immigrated to Mexico, in that, and I think that's a key factor of, of this whole story, that they first arrived to Mexico, blended there, um, Left uh, left us with with a lot of um, cooking techniques and ingredients and tacos al pastor, tacos al pastor, for example, which are not Mexican. Actually, this is wonderful. I mean, what I was going to say with this wonderful story about um, the holy sand, um, that clearly we're talking about a great ability to be entrepreneurs. Right. Um, and one of those businesses, obviously, has been in the food industry with restaurants. Um, so as we move specifically to the history of El Layeli, um, I don't know how many people out there know that Tacos al Pastor are, have Arab background. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, actually, the the main 
uh, I don't know if people are uh, aware of shawarma. Well, the word shawarma means turning, and it comes from uh, a Turkish word, and it's also uh, used in, in Greece as gyro or gyro. So it, it means to turn. So it's the same principle. But uh, when the Lebanese arrived to Mexico, they didn't have as many, uh, well, they used lamb in, in the Middle East. But in Mexico, we don't need as much lamb as they do. So they grabbed whatever ingredients they had. And the first one was pork. And, um, well, the, the local ingredients, you know, oranges and whatever. And they created tacos al pastor. And that's, that's the origin of it. And now it's a very Mexican dish. Are tacos al pastor different than tacos árabes? I mean, ta tacos, um, not árabes, perdón. I think they call them ahumados. Have you heard that? Yeah. The ingredients are very different. It's the spices that make... So what's the difference between those two kinds of tacos, if you, if, if you know that? Uh, al pastor uses fruit, lots of fruit, like pineapple, orange... Uh, a spice, well, it's a seed called achiote that is from the south of Mexico. Um, and the other ones used are more from the northern part, and they use different chilies. Mm -hmm. So it's a mix of chilies and uh, local, mm, not so fruity uh, ingredients. Okay. So that's a main difference okay. between those two. Because I've heard sometimes some people sort of kind of making them sound like if it's the same thing, but I I had an understanding that they were different. Um, they still have sort of an origin of Arab influence, but they're di very different tacos. So going going to this now that we're talking about food, let, let's let's backtrack a little bit and tell me specifically about the history of, of your restaurant or of this family restaurant, El Layali. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. Um, and let's begin by two things. Um, well, maybe one thing. Let's talk about the name, um, and then from there we'll talk about the history as to how it got established. Okay, well, the name El Layeli uh, means the nights or las noches in Spanish. And uh, it was basically picked up in one night uh, when we were kind of uh, brainstorming about the name of the restaurant, which is not the same of the Chihuahua's restaurant. Okay. Um, so we just, you know... Uh, we got creative. We took out a napkin and started brainstorming over it. And uh, we thought of a dessert, which I really, really like. It's called Layali Lebanon. And it's, it's, it means um, the Knights of Lebanon. So we kind of connected all the dots and we came up with El Layali, as in as in plural with the article L. Um, originally should be Al-Layali uh, or Al-Layali, but uh, we did a little bit of research and uh, I think the name was already taken somewhere in northern states of the United States. Um, so we that's how we came up with the name of El Layeli. And also the connection with El Paso. Right. So it was easier for people to get the L from El Paso to El Layeli. So, you know, the pronunciation. So it means the night? The nights. It's a plural. The nights. Plural. The nights. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, the nights are very nice here also with when we have the stars. So 
That's a very poetic way of coming to your name. That's wonderful. So what was the name then in Chihuahua? And tell us how that, that restaurant started, because I, I, I'm, you know, so we can learn about the family history of how that began. Right. Uh, so it all started when my, um, this is my father's side of the family, um, Adela Neder. Um, she met a man in Mexico City. She was working in something else, something different. Um, she met a guy in, in Mexico City, and he happened to be a Lebanese-born uh, man, and um, they fell in love. Um, Lebanese people, as far as I know, they're very proud of their heritage. Um, they emphasize in the, in the blood, have no idea why, um, if you happen to share a name, a Lebanese or Arab name, it's, oh, you got the blood and uh, you're Arab. And so he met my aunt and he fell in love with her because she was half Mexican and half Lebanese. And um, when my aunt retired from her job in Mexico City and came back to Chihuahua, she brought with herself the men she loved. And... Um, he had several business, non-related, uh, non-food related, and um, but she was the one with the idea of the food because she had already visited Lebanon several times, and she was fascinated with the food. She she went crazy about it, and she would come back to Chihuahua and cook for the family and say, hey, um, how's this and how's that dish? Do you like it? And then everybody started wondering, what's it called? Because we, uh, I mean, my family, although we share the Lebanese last name, we weren't that close or acquainted to, to the cuisine itself. So my aunt was responsible for it. And then she told her husband, um, we should start a Lebanese kitchen in Chihuahua. And my uncle was very reluctant to it because he said, no one's going to know what is it about. Uh, they're, they're just going to reject the food. It's, it's very different. And, and my aunt said, uh, you know what? Uh, it's not different. It, it, I'll make it similar to ours. And that's how they started Los Fenicios. Um, Phoenicia, Phoenicians, we also made a bit of research on it to, to bring the same name. But it was also kind of taken in, in the country here. So we couldn't use the same name. And that's how they started Los Fenicios. My aunt, Adela Neder, was responsible for it. She started... Uh, pushing my uncle to to cook and he was like very negative about it like no they are not gonna like it they don't know what is it about uh it's not pretty it's not pretty <laughs> and then my aunt would would go I'll make it pretty and that's exactly how how we develop our ideal restaurant here it's all about it's not about, it's not just about tasty, but pretty. Mm -hmm. um, and she made it pretty and she adjusted. She worked on the ingredients in such a way that, that it was accepted and, and tasty. And 
not very different from its original um, taste, but, you know, she worked it out. I remember she would, uh, they would, when they had already the restaurant all set, full of people, uh, they came up with a little cardboard sign um, and my aunt wrote Lebanese food or comida libanesa uh, and then my uncle erased it and said, no, they, they don't even know where Lebanon is because we're, we're talking about 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago in Chihuahua, little town, although it's a major city. But, you know, it, it was described as a, as a very small city. Um, so he was like, no, just go for uh, comida Arabi because uh, everybody knows an Arabi, right? Uh, they just know an an Arab, it's an Arab, it you know, not the country specifically. And then they went for it, Comida Arabe, and then they came up with uh, Los Fenicios, which I think Lily can give us a little <laughs> more information about the Phoenicians uh, well, and so how my uncle thought of it. Well, yeah, because Phoenicians were everywhere. They brought... Um, but they were merchants, they brought uh, their alphabet, and they brought many, they have a huge um, heritage, a, a big one. They built cities all over the world. So he decided to uh, to show that to the, the people of Chihuahua, that it was not just any Arab, it was the Phoenicians. So that way he could uh, lean on his heritage and show them that it was, he was proud of it and that it was worth it, you know. So he came up with the name Los Fenicios instead of just any Mediterranean because people didn't know about that, but they know about Phoenicians. And what was the, the food, that the, the, what were some of the specific dishes that were um, prepared there? Do you remember them? Yes. Um, basically, the, the most iconic dishes were kipe. Uh, which is um, wheat-based, um, the uh, yogurt, which they call it labne uh, or laban, um, tabbouleh, which is their uh, main salad of parsley, parsley, an ingredient that also wasn't really uh, known in Chihuahua and I think rest of Mexico, um, but we'll be getting in another topic of ingredients um, not not from Mexico. Um, and the hummus, which is very popular. Um, then baba ganoush. Um, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, and um, what but else? But it's not common in, in Mexico. No, it's not it's I mean, not we common. eat lots of chickpea, but not in hummus, not as a dip. And Spanish are responsible for chickpeas, so it's not a. It's definitely not a Mexican ingredient. Not an indigenous ingredient. No, right. not an indigenous mm -hmm. in ingredient. Um, so I I think they started with that, and also uh, he brought a lot of wine to Chihuahua, which um, people were not used to. Probably um, social uh, like. High social class would be drinking wine, but not everybody. So food and wine was something that it was not used 
Um, it was not a custom in Chihuahua back in the days. So is this is this what you learned to cook at the restaurant with you in? This precise, uh, this particular food, yes. Did you actually work at the, were you working at this restaurant or not? I, I kind of, um, so uh, unfortunately my uncle died about eight years ago. And then my, my aunt was left alone with the restaurant. So I stepped in, I started helping out so I could learn the recipes and everything. And, and yes, I lasted for a couple of months or so because later on she got very tired of um, the whole thing by herself. And, you know, he, she was actually grieving. And um, then my cousin came from Mexico City and took over the restaurant. And, but I had already, you know, learned all the recipes, and I also grew up eating them. So yeah, and we lived uh, with her since she she um, was alone. She invited us to live with her next to the restaurant, so we were always there, like eating with them, cooking. learning, cooking, helping, uh, seeing, just you know, observing, trying to learn. Uh, not in a professional way or a, just just looking at them. And sometimes they would slip some secret or <laughs> some uh, tips about it. So that's how we learned. I call this learning through, through the senses. You learn by being there, by observing, by right. tasting, by smelling. So tell, bring us to El Paso. What was your decision to, to come to El Paso, to move from Chihuahua to El Paso, and to establish this restaurant? Um, what, what is it that you want to try to accomplish with that, with that journey? Okay, well, that's a very interesting question and I, I think it's a it, it could be it could turn into a very long response <laughs> but um, in general we just wanted to share that greatness uh, we wanted um, we wanted people from El Paso to to have the opportunity that the ones in Chihuahua had because for over 35 years or so, um, that restaurant in Chihuahua had has been the only one um, and the best. That's how people would, would describe it and call it. So we wanted El Paso to, to have it. Um, it was also a personal, of course, a personal interest. Um, in my case, uh, El Paso and, and the Juarez area, it's something that I'm very affectionate of. Um, I, I grew up around, I, I have family here in El Paso, I have family in Juarez, and on my mother's side, I have family in the northeast of this country, and I also had the opportunity to go back there in, you know, the area of New Jersey, um, and my, I remember my aunts over there would say, yeah, it would be great, come over here, but it just didn't feel right. Um, this felt right. I think you like the desert. You could say that. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that was also a fact that um, when the, there was this uh, violence period in, in Chihuahua and Mexico in general, like 10 years ago, um, many businesses or many families from this upper classes uh, brought their families to El Paso. 
it was safer for them. So they moved here, but they missed Los Fenicios. They, they, when they got back to Chihuahua for the holidays or whatever, they always brought uh, boxes with food and they, and they tried to convince uh, Adela to, to have one here or in Juarez so they could eat it um, often. But they never want, they never, they thought they were too old for that. They didn't want to start over. So uh, three, four years ago, we decided, well, we have a shot. I mean, if there's all these people asking for it, they already know the, f the flavor. They know the recipes. They know us. They know the family because they became even friends. Um, so we said, well, yeah, we have, we have a good shot. Right. And obviously you have had, I mean, you've been here for 40, 43 years already? Um, uh, almost four years. Almost four years. Yes. So, so that's wonderful. Um, and you've been in two locations, but right now you're in the Donovan location. Yes. Let's talk about the food specifically. Let's talk about some of the food um, that, that you serve in, in Layeli. Um, and also tell us your, your views of artisan food, because you are presenting um, the food that you sell there. Um, and what are some of the unique dishes that are just in your restaurant maybe? Or, or maybe not, maybe, I mean, just, just tell us about the food in general, in your restaurant. Um, well, the um, artisan part, it's very, very important to us, uh, since that's the way we, we learn to, to cook. Um, artisan means doing it with your hands, and that's what we do. Uh, we try to do everything from scratch, not as an advertising kind of very cliche phrase in the restaurant business, which is everything it's made from scratch. Well, um, that's something probably, uh, it could be not true. It could be semi <laughs> by hand because uh, as soon as you, you, you start using tools uh, like cutting onions, tomatoes with uh, some sort of machines, um, etc. That's already not an artisan product. So we try to keep it um, by hand entirely. Um, if someone asks for a salad, uh, I personally cut the onion on the spot, uh, not in a prep um, cooler, it's not sitting there for hours till someone orders it. That's what artisan means to us. And, um, and the fact that we make everything with our hands without using probably, um, well, we use some electronics, of course, we're, we're not that brutal, but... <laughs> Um, we use blenders. We, we use do blenders, know blenders. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there, there was this customer once, and uh, she specifically ordered tabbouleh, which is the parsley salad. And um, you could say anybody can make it. Uh, it's just like a, it's similar to a pico de gallo. And uh, instead of uh, jalapeno, you just put parsley in it. And voila, you have... Um, tabbouleh. Um, but this lady specifically told Lily, um, well, she made the ob observation, and I think you can... Yeah, she made the observation that it was cut by hand. She noticed that the tomato was not mushy, that it was not puree, <laughs> so that it was uh, cleanly cut, and the onion too. 
So um, it was really fresh and uh, she could taste every ingredient separately. And that's the idea of tabule. So she asked me if I cut it by hand or I used, you know, the, those cutters. And I said, no, it, it was done by hand. And said, yeah, it shows. I know. I mean, my family is Lebanese and I can tell when you use a machine or you use your hands. And I was very surprised and I uh, almost cried, to be honest, because it's a lot of work um, in the kitchen for for uh, two to seven minutes of a dish out there. Um, I think it takes two to ten minutes to eat it. <laughs> so um, it was very, I was like, really? She, she asked that? She told you that? And, and I was so glad that that it's noticeable, that you can tell. And that's what Addison food is all about, that you can tell that it is not just fresh, but made by hand. We do make empanadas, which I'll call, are called um, fatayer, fatayer in, in Lebanon. And... Um, uh, they're very similar to the the Spanish, the Mexican espanada, or, or what is it, the, the unique? How are they different? Or, the feeling, the feeling, it's what's different. Not precisely the bread, um, but the bread we we don't buy it from anyone else. It's uh, basically Lily's recipe. Um, so I make the dough. I take the time, you know. So everything takes a lot of time, and to be. Uh, for people to acknowledge that is well, it's uh, it's really difficult, but it's uh, we take pride on it. You know, when people really understands and notice that that it was made by hand, that we took the time, that we care about our product, that we love our product, and we love our customers enough as to give them quality. And I know that there are tons of shortcuts that we could take especially in this country, because there, there are industries, you know, we could buy cans, we could buy syrups, we could buy all sorts of things, but we decided not to. So you bring in a topic by asking, um, starting to talk about what you could buy, but you don't. Um, what has been your experience in terms of, of, of gathering the ingredients that you need to make Lebanese food in El Paso? Um, is, are they easily accessible? Obviously, parsley is now very easily. But are there specific ingredients that are that are essential for a particular Lebanese dish? And you can tell me which dish that is. Um, and which you might have found, found a bit of a challenge in finding ingredients, and how do you go about getting them? Or mm -hmm. maybe not. Maybe they are all here in El Paso. Some of them. I mean... <laughs> And now after 2020, it's even more difficult to get some ingredients because most of them are imported or um, they get to California and then they get here. So they have to to get here. And now it's a, there are, it's a logistic nightmare after the pandemic. But wheat is the base of, of this cuisine. Cracked wheat. It's not flour. It's not... Um, bread itself. It's wheat. We use it in tabule. We use it to make kepe, which is some sort of meatloaf. We use it um, for different dishes. And, and it's something that people don't, uh, well, most people don't think about. They may know kepe, but they may not know 
what it's made of. And that's one of the key ingredients. And we have to order it because it's not locally farmed here. So we have to order that. Grape leaves, that's another thing. We have lots of uh, vineyards around, but they don't get the leaves. <laughs> so we, sh we have to order them. And sometimes there's a shortage and we just don't have them. And we roll them by hand. We stuff them, we roll them, we cook them. We don't open a can and take them to the table. So that's those are two ingredients that are uh, difficult to find. Sometimes we may have some difficulties, but um, they're not local, definitely. Parsley, that's another story. It's Believe fragile. It or not. Yeah, parsley. sometimes we can find it, sometimes not, and people get angry, like, how come you don't have tabule? Well, there was no parsley available. <laughs> but mm -hmm. That's a fact now after the pandemic. What are the ingredients that are easily found here? Uh, maybe because they also are used in Mexican cuisines? Are there, are there similarities uh, in, in some of the, in the, the basic ingredients of, of these two foods? Yes, especially because Mexican cuisine, it's also, it, it, it has its own background of fresh ingredients, especially vegetables. Um, the tomatoes, the onion, um, cilantro, uh, they also use that one. Um, but since we are in the border, we are between two cultures and we share not just a not just a bilingual kind of culture, but also in in every other field like um, ingredients that they go back and forth. It's a border. It's it's one of the most important cities or borders of the United States, and it happens to be with Mexico, and and that's relevant because. Um, the more you get into the, the northern of the states, uh, the harder it gets to get fre fresh ingredients. Uh, it can be because of weather, because of uh, plantations. I don't know the logistics of it precisely, but um, it is an advantage to be uh, in the border with Mexico because uh, most of our products like uh, lime and tomato are products of Mexico. Calabacita. Uh, the the squash. squash also. We, uh, the Lebanese um, dish, it's called kusa, kusa mashi, we, which is um, our calabacita, the, the one, the Mexican, Mexican we know. Calabaza. It's stuffed with rice and meat, and but it has to be the Mexican one. So it, it, that's an advantage to so have it here. If you were in, in, in Lebanon, which squash would you use? It would be the same, but they don't call it Mexican squash. Ah, what do they call it there? Cuscusa. Just, just squash. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what What about you? You you uh, gifted us. Um, Adrian and I with some wonderful uh, desserts. Can you tell us about desserts a little bit? Uh, and, and, and are they really Lebanese or? Turkish or <laughs> what are they? Well, um, we're not that uh, acquainted with the Turkish history, but uh, everything comes from the Turkish. Let's say it. Let's put it out. <laughs> so, so the dessert that we have here, which is baklava, if I'm yeah. pronouncing that correctly, 
is Turkish. We're gonna are we gonna mm. agree with that or no? The Ottoman Empire. Right. Yeah. I mean, they took. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> yeah, it started with them. It was an empire after all. So they brought uh, their sweets, the baklava, and their coffee, or the way you know the Turkish coffee to other countries around them. And so if we sell coffee, it's Lebanese coffee because we use uh, the grains are Lebanese. It's a Lebanese coffee, but we prepare it in the Turkish way. So, yeah. Turkish and, tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. and baklava is the same. We In Lebanon, it's called belewe. So some people call it baklava. Some other call them belewe. And, uh, but it's basically the same thing. It's phyllo dough. Uh, sheets, very fine sheets with, uh, it's not butter itself, it's clarified butter. So we that, that's something else that we do. I mean, we separate the the oil or the, the uh, milk from the oil. So we don't take that shortcut. We prepare it. We make it. We make the syrup. And so we, we make our own baklavas, any filling you want. So since it's made from scratch, People can order it with different fruits or nuts or whatever, even vegan baklava. Um, yes, and uh, there's there's a, a brief anecdote that I would like to share with you. Uh, um, Los Fenicios would would buy baklava from Mexico City. They would fly the the baklava because you know Mexico City. It's a big city. They would have it all, and then my aunt. Uh, once said, I'm done with ordering baklava. I'm going to make my own pastry. And um, she started trying, and it took her a month or so for it to to have the baklava um, even better than the than the one than the one they used to fly from Mexico City. And I, I think that's very important because she just found the technique of making baklava um, without a machine, without um, being in the country itself. It's, it was just all of her insights and her creation. And and it's practically the same. I mean... So is, is this creation of UN is the creation that we have now? And, and, yes. And, Definitely. So that's what we eat. Yes. So we eat a little yes. bit of her recipes then here. Yes. So let me, um, as we start coming to a, to a close in here, let me ask you, when what, what kind of experience, what kind of culinary experience, um, cultural experience, are you hoping your, your patrons take with them when they come to eat at your restaurant? And, and I mean your restaurant because... You keep talking about we make. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that means that the two of you are the ones who are cooking. Um, right. So you are both the, the, the cooks. And, and so um, so collectively, what, what experience you want people to take um, for meeting at this particular um, family restaurant? So we really want them to, to come back to earth. Let me tell you why. Um, we find a lot of food processed. Uh, a lot of foods are uh, industrialized. A lot of ingredients are, have been vanished uh, because they turned them into chemicals and something else in order to uh, sell and produce and make money out of them. 
So what uh, what we really expect um, for you to, to the experience for you to have in the restaurant is to taste earth, to taste natural, not just a and, dish. And home, it's like eating at home because that's something that some customers have said. This is like this is taking me back to my grandma's house. This is taking me back to my homeland. I mean, it, that's a, a huge compliment to take. Which, which your your answer and your antidote. Thank, thanks for telling us that. I, I love that. You know, taste earth. So, so we put it right there. Yeah. Um, because you are really talking about serving two very different audiences. The ones that are going back home are clearly the people that have the Lebanese background. I go there and I enjoy the food and I taste that naturalness, that that that, that earthness, um, which you know, in, in the big picture, is also home. I mean, nature right. is at home for all of us, right? Um, but it seems like those two philosophies <laughs> um, are really tapping into two um, distinct audiences, um, or, or, or not audiences, uh, but um, um, uh, customers, um, because some of us do not have the cultural background, but we're exposed to it. Um, is there something else that, that you would like to highlight to, to address that, that we haven't discussed in terms of particular recipes um, or, or all the connections that you see between, once again, like I said, Lebanese and Mexican foods? The calabacitas, I, I thought it was very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that because I grew up eating calabas, stuffed calabacitas right. um, with a little sauce of tomato that my mom made. I don't think we have any Arab or any kind, kind of formal shape of anything in our family, um, uh, Lebanese or anything. But that's a dish that I grew up eating in Nuevo Laredo, right? Whether there was also a dish that my mother learned because of some Arab influence at some point in her time, I don't know. Um, are there other interesting things that you find out eating when you go to Mexico's restaurants here um, and, and, and eat, I don't know, picadillo and, and make connections with some? Of course. Um, actually, going back, um, uh, you were you were talking about... Uh, uh, those calabacitas you you were used to um, eating with your mom, um, perhaps if we dig a little bit, um, it does have a similarity, a relationship or connection with the, the Arab culture because, in fact, at the end, we are all Spanish descendants. So... Um, yeah, especially if we come from Andalusia area, right? Exactly. Right. So right. there is a connection in in this whole gastronomy. Uh, it's just it, it have it has taken different paths. We might be eating similar dishes, but just calling it by different names. Yes. Um, but but that's an interesting thing to, to point out, and, and a good place to to, to close uh, for today is that you know when we're talking about Arab influence. And we're talking about Mexican food. I guess, like we said earlier, right? Where does it begin? I mean, the Spanish Spain was colonized by the Arabs for many, many years, um, and a lot of people in Mexico are from the Andalusia area. So we already have a lot of that culinary influences. Um, you know, arroz con leche. It's, it's 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 a classic dessert that, that I see. You know, when I've gone to some Middle Eastern restaurants and they have they have it and it has a little yes. bit of uh, of um, rose water, that might be the difference. That the one cardamom. I grew up eating, it didn't have rose water. But if you add a little rose water, it just tastes like what I grew up eating. Yes. Um, so those are the connections, and 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 that I think is wonderful that you have this restaurant here, and I hope people come in and, and learn about more Lebanese food, um, and as they tasting the dishes that you have in your in, in your menu, 
um, they'll learn about Lebanese, but they might also be able to start making connections with things that they might have grown up in other cultural, in their own cultural background, if it is not Lebanese. I want to thank once again our guests today, Lili and Adriana Neder, uh, co-owners of and chefs of El Layeli, uh, for sharing the history of, of this culinary um, trajectory um, in terms of the family having a restaurant and now they having a restaurant here. Um, thank you so much, and we look forward to our next visit. Thank you for thank having you. me. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you. Thank you.